Securities offered through Securities America, Inc. Member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. Investors Advantage and the Securities America companies are separate entities. The opinions and forecasts expressed are those of the author, may not actually come to pass, and should not be construed as a recommendation of any security or investment plan. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. John Grace and Daniel Medina here on Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. So glad you could spend some time with us this uh, wild and woolly afternoon. When we look at the weather across the country, it's about as wild and woolly as it can be. So uh, we're, of course, in Southern California, and we're complaining about it being, I'm almost embarrassed to say, to the rest of the country, you know, we're chilly at the low 60s. And looking at what's going on elsewhere, friends in um, in, uh, in Houston and uh, Colorado Springs and family in, in Louisiana. I mean, I, as a friend of mine said, just as a couple of years ago, we went to lunch. He says, I don't think this global warming is going to really impact me in my life. And he's older than I am. So I had to say it softly, but I did say, how soon are you planning on dying? Because you cannot see the future. And, and let me just say that this is what's so important that we, we, no one can predict the future, but it makes all the sense of the world to be prepared for the good, the bad, and the unforeseen. And the unforeseen is the part you do not imagine, but that doesn't mean you can't be prepared for what you have never seen. And apparently, uh, the governor of Texas is uh, making noises that it's uh, you know the green energy that's the problem. Uh, it's the frozen windmills that's the problem. And, and I would submit that the problem is is that the uh, the government in Texas. I mean, this is the energy capital of certainly the United States, right? If not uh, for much of the world, and yet they weren't prepared for this kind of cold at this at this level uh, for the, the period of time. But others have see it, said that this was this was possibly in the cards. And that's what we're, we're saying to you that, you know, this Texas storm exposed an energy grid completely unprepared for climate change. And I'm using that as an analogy to say that that's why Daniel Medina and John Grace are here to help you be better prepared for what you do not foresee and the good news is when it comes to financial planning, there are better tools than just letting whatever happened to your account happen to your account. There are better tools that people can use. And that's part of the reason we're here to help people see there are other ways to go. Not that they're necessarily better, but to the extent that you're worried about, let's fill in the blanks with whatever you're worried about. The question becomes, what can we learn from the last time your account was down by how much? And are you prepared for your account to be down by that much again? 40, 50%, whatever it might be. Is that something that you want to do again? And the answer is no, then clearly we some changes might be in order, or certainly some comparisons might be in order. So we'll be we'll be looking at that in, in detail. Uh, and you know, the, the the government has a responsibility, in my opinion, to figure out how to store energy. Uh, so particularly from renewable sources, right? So that when you can't turn on the taps, what can you turn on so that people aren't freezing to death? I mean, I just think it's a travesty. And, you know, 
we're supposed to be this American exceptionalism, uh, America first, we'll be talking about that as well. Uh, and in fact, the, the, the subjects that we'll be getting into is looking at, uh, you know, what's happening as far as uh, using money from retirement accounts. Uh, everybody wants to enjoy the gains somewhere and housing seems to be one of those areas that many people are really anxious to get in or to redo. Uh, and, and so part of the question becomes, what should you do if you need a down payment relative to pulling that down payment from a retirement account like your 401k or IRA rollover? Um, and then we will we will also look at what happened with this forbearance, right? It's been extended. We'll talk about what is forbearance so people understand it is not free. It is something that you get to deal with. And all you've done is kick this can down the road. So that's the good news and the bad news. And we really want to get into what I'm calling uh, the Chinese are coming. All right. You heard the British were coming. Well, the Chinese are coming. And guess what? Ahead of schedule. And boy, do they have an agenda. And again, we're using this as an example, not only to look at what's going on, because sometimes we get so focused on our own toes and navels and whether or not a mask is a political statement. We don't see what's happening in the world outside of our little purview. And I think it makes sense to look at what's happening in the world outside of our neighborhood because we're all connected. Whether we like it or not, understand it or don't, we're breathing the same air, we're drinking the same water, and we were and we will shortly be again flying the same airplane. So maybe we should look to see what we do have in common and, and address some of these concerns because uh, we're all in this together whether it looks like it or feels like it or not. So we do always talk about what the market is doing. And, and this is an interesting time. Uh, we like to, uh, when we talk about the market, it's not just from the standpoint of what's going on today. We prefer for you to have a little better perspective by looking at what's going on as far as the year is concerned. And of course, we're only what, not even 60 days into 2021. But we can see, for example, that today seems to be uh, uh, certainly a decline from the highs uh, of recently, and it looks like the market may have uh, peaked in most cases on the Friday before President's Day. The Dow was at 31,458. Uh, today, the Dow is at 31,625. So it is actually up um, from the high of February the 12th. The other markets, is S&P, Standard Poor's 500, along with NASDAQ, I don't believe are back to those highs. Uh, this could be a parallel to where we were in uh, February 12th uh, through the 19th of 2020, where we saw, I believe on the 12th, uh, on February 12th, 2020, the Dow was at 21, I'm sorry, 29,551. So it has moved up higher. But remember, what was right behind that high was a new low for the year that uh, took place from about February 19th through March 23rd. And that was a 35% reduction in value. And that scared uh, you know, a lot of people into going into church. I mean, it, that for a lot of people, that was scary. And what we're saying, just like we're talking about, these uh, storms, how can we prepare for the next one? Can you weather that storm? Is it okay with you to be to have to sleep in your car because you have no heat? Is there another way to go? So, all right, but the Dow for the year from January 1 through today is up about 3.1%. That's, that's a good number for the year. Uh, the S&P 500 is up about 445 it's um, it, it was at uh, 39.28 as we look at it right now. And on uh, the 12th of uh, February, it was at 39.34.
So we're in uh, record territory in, in every case, uh, certainly near the highs, if not at the highs. And then looking at the NASDAQ off 105 points, at uh, 39, I'm sorry, 13,941, up 8% for the year. So uh, this will be interesting to watch. And again, notice how the NASDAQ is uh, the, the leader as far as the PAC is concerned, that's all tech. And the old style companies, like uh, mostly domiciled in the Dow, are up 3%, where the NASDAQ year-to-date is up a little over 8%. Quite a disparity between those two. Think of the NASDAQ as new companies, and the Dow as old companies. So um, we want to make sure that you're ready, all right? Uh, and w- whether there are steep uh, climate-related spikes when it comes to power or steep um, market-related uh, debacles when it comes to the stock market, we, we want to make sure you, you recognize that uh, there are options that you may not have been aware of. So we'll, we'll get into more of that, but let's look at right now, the, the, the whole notion, Daniel, of uh, this, these 401k accounts where people tend to look at them as places to uh, pay off debt or pay down debt. They promise they're going to pay this money back to themselves with great intention, right? And, and certainly, it, it's, a, it's an easy place to get a down payment from a house. But what are the other side of, of, of those kinds of things that we all like to do? The other side is your 401k is not a piggy bank. What it's designed for is a place for you to put, for people to put money away for those long-term savings needs and those primarily being re- retirement. So what the four, what the, the benefit of the 401k when you put money in is you, you, it comes directly out of your paycheck and you can do it on a pre-tax or a post-tax basis. So long as you leave it there until you're 59 and a half and don't take it out, then you avoid any penalties on withdrawals. And once you do take withdrawals, depending on if you put it in, in a post-tax or pre-tax, there may be taxes when it comes out at your regular income tax rate. Um, what it's not is a piggy bank. What we don't want people to do, in which for the most part they do a lot of, is they use it as a savings account. They use it as their emergency funds. If they lose their job and they need money, they pull money from there, or to pay off credit card debt, that's where they pull it from, or they borrow from it. This becomes very problematic because that that money, for a lot of people, it's the only real source of savings that they have. And once they deplete it, then not only is it gone, but they have a big tax problem that they have to deal with on the other side of that. So as an example, let's say you take $10,000 out for to pay off credit card debt. Plus side is you avoid paying the interest on that credit card debt, which might be 18 or 20%. Bad side is you didn't look, you may not have looked at the taxes. If you're under 59 and a half, there's a 10% penalty on that plus your regular income taxes. So if you're in California, that could be seven or 10%. For federally, that could be somewhere between 15 to 30%. So let's say it's 15 federal and seven state plus your 10% penalty, that puts you at uh, about 37% taxes. 37%. And last week we were talking about, uh, for a couple, we used an example, I think that you illustrated about $100,000, their effective tax rate, if I'm not mistaken, was 16, 17%, something like that. Yeah, yeah so, 13% at 100 and, and 16 at 150. That, that's a huge difference. And, and, and let's make sure folks understand, Daniel, when you take money out of your uh, re- 
traditional retirement account. We're not talking about a Roth. Any traditional retirement account, 457, 403B, 401K, IRA, doesn't matter what the alphabet soup is. Is there any way to avoid the tax on those withdrawals? No, if it's in a if you if it's not if it's not a Roth 401k, there is no way to avoid tax. One of the most common questions that we get is how do I not pay taxes on this? And there's there's simply there's one way, but it, you have to not take possession of money. You have to give it to a charity. <laughs> yeah. So I intend to buy whatever I'm going to buy. That's not giving it to charity. So the, the real point that we want everyone to understand is they, that we, we just imagine there must be a way to get access to these funds without paying the tax. And the answer is there is no such thing, okay? Last year, for those who were taking requirement of dis, minimum distributions for the first time ever, they were able to suspend taking their withdrawal. That means they did not have to take this required minimum distribution. That's the first time ever we've seen something like that. So far, we don't see any indication that they're going to be offered again. So that was a one time not to take the distribution. But again, whenever you take whatever you take, it's going to be taxed at the federal and state level. And if you, that's that's 100% of the time. And if you're under 59 and a half, there's also a, a 10% penalty. So just to give you some, some math to kind of uh, consider, if you were to take $45,000 from your 401k, to pay off debts, for example. So if you're under 59 and a half, you've got that 4,500 early withdrawal penalty, that's 10%. And on top of that, you'll also owe income tax on the 45,000. If you're single and your taxable income is $100,000, and then you have your $45,000, that'll be taxed at 24%, kind of the numbers that Daniel was just talking about, or 10,800 as of this year. So in total, your $45,000 withdrawal will cost you 15300 and leave you with $29,700 to apply to your debts. So we're saying do not make this your first place to go get money. I mean, if the car costs $45,000, would you pay the 45 plus the tax of 15? Now the car is, what's that, $58,300? Would you even think of paying fifty-eight, nearly $60,000 for a $45,000 car? Never. So we need to look at this in the same way that we look at other things where it's pretty clear. It's more black and white. And, and so we wouldn't want to think we're getting a $45,000 car for $45,000 and then come and sign the contract for nearly $60,000. We just don't want that to happen. Now, what happens, Daniel, with withdrawals after 59 and a half? After 59 and a half, uh, we you, you avoid the 10% penalty, you still pay taxes at your regular income tax level. So depending on how much income you have in any given year, whatever source of income, you maybe have some pension income or social security, or maybe you're still working, take that, whatever you withdraw, you take from a retirement account, like a 401k, and you add that to your income and just simply becomes additional income for you. And, and we might mention this too, Daniel, that uh, when we look at uh, situations where clients are really putting a whole lot of money into these traditional retirement accounts. And we see more and more people just seem to be stockpiling cash. The, uh, as we say, the traditional retirement account, what the uh, financial advisors and the tax advisors don't seem to explain to people is this is a, when you start taking withdrawals and you must start taking withdrawals now at 72 and a half, that withdrawal rate goes up every year a little bit for the rest of your life. So 
the financial services industry has always campaigned buy low, sell high, buy and hold. But when you start taking withdrawals, and again, after 72, you must start taking withdrawals. Every year, the IRS requires you to increase the amount that you withdraw, no matter what happens to the value of your account. That gets disturbing to people in the reality where they had a, a very good year, let's say last year, and then this year is a very poor year, but the account value is based on last year and the withdrawal is based on last year, in spite of the fact that the account is off, whatever the account might be off for this year. They really don't like that. So one of the things that we suggest that folks do is really give some thought and do the math for looking at uh, completing a Roth conversion. That way, you again, you're going to pay the tax, but now you know you're paying it in today's uh, tax rates, which probably are going to be lower than tomorrow's tax rates. And once you've paid that tax, now that money is sitting in a different account, a Roth IRA, from which you now know after 59 and a half, you can take the withdrawals and not pay the tax because you already paid the tax five, 10 or 15 years ago. And, and, and this is important too. We'll sometimes help people look at, here's the real question. How much tax are you willing to pay? So we'll help them develop a schedule. Okay, I only want to pay $5,000 in tax. Okay, so instead of coming up with $25,000 to do a conversion, um, and Daniel help us figure out how that, how that works, but instead of coming up with whatever the tax might be in a lump sum, maybe you take a portion of your traditional retirement account and convert it into a Roth as you're willing to pay the tax. Again, knowing this money, when I take withdrawals from the Roth, uh, IRA will never be taxed again. How do, you, how do you help people do the math on that, Daniel? First of all, we are not tax professionals, so please consult ta your tax professional for any tax advice. But what we'll tend to do is we'll estimate tax based on income for a given year. So towards the end, let's say it's towards the end of the year and we have a very good idea that your adjusted gross income will be will be around $100,000. So if you were to tell us that you wanted to pay, you had a tax budget of say $10,000, uh, that you could play, pay in a conversion, we'll run that backwards to see how much of a conversion we, we could do to, to, for the tax bill to be about $10,000. Very good. So I think we have uh, gotten to this point and we need to go to a quick break. We ask you to sit tight. We'll be right back here. We want to pick up with, uh, for first time buyers, uh, isn't it advantageous to use uh, 401k money? So with that, please uh, stay tuned. And Daniel Medina and John Grace will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. 
Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, folks. John Grayson, Daniel Medina here. And by the way, uh, I have written a book. I'm very proud of it. Love for you to have a copy. And they are available at uh, Amazon along with eBay. They're a whopping $15, $16, uh, depending on where you go to purchase the book. And they're about 100 pages. And apparently, uh, the the new way to write books is that they be about 100 pages. So that seems to have worked out just fine. And you won't break the bank with this uh, primer that I've designed to help be a beach entrance, if you will, to understanding finance. And that's why we call it Making Finance Make Sense, so that you can see that this is something that is doable. As I say, we just can't be complacent and go, oh, the weather will never get that cold. And then you wake up the next year and it got colder than you ever imagined. So we, we, we think this has been a, a good um, book for people to kind of wet their whistle and start taking some action. And when I say start taking action, I mean saving for yourself first. I don't care if it's 50 bucks. But uh, make sure that you're taking care of you as opposed to, and we'll get into this as well, America first and spin, baby, spin, make the, uh, the community and the, the country do very well in terms of spending, but uh, not as far as your family is concerned. So um, let's uh, pick up where we left off, Daniel. So a lot of people will look at their 401k or any traditional retirement account, and, and, and there is some good news in terms of if you're buying a house, how you can avoid the penalty. How, how's that work? So this is another real common question that we get. And the way it's always phrased is we could take money out of our 401k and miss the taxes. So we should buy a house, right? And what most people are looking for is for justification from us to say, yes, you should definitely do that. doesn't always make sense. It's still expensive money to use because you, yes, you do miss the penalty of 10%, but you are paying the regular taxes on that $10,000 distribution. So if you're in a 15% tax bracket federally and say a five, say a 7% state tax bracket, you're still paying 22% of that 10,000 in tax to access that money for a first time home purchase. You miss the 10% penalty. So you miss a thousand dollars in tax, but you still pay the $2,200 in that example in taxes. So it's, it's yes, you can take money out for a first time home purchase. And yes, you do miss the penalty. And yes, that is, that is a very nice feature. But again, it's not something we would necessarily advocate. We don't want that to be, we wouldn't suggest that be the first place you look to take money out. Every pot of money that you has has a different purpose. The 401k money is not specifically for that. If you're going to be buying a house then you sh- and you need money for the down payment, then you should be setting money aside outside of the 401k to do that. There's another part too, because as I say, we all make this, uh, you know, like uh, I agree with my blood brother, I'm going to put the money back. And we say that with the best of intentions. It just doesn't typically happen. But even if you do, typically, if you take out all of 10, which of course isn't really enough to buy anything in America, but let's say it's all of 10, typically you're going to be making contributions in some varying amount, say it's $1,000 a year or $1,000 a month. My real point is, 
you haven't given, you do the math to look at if I keep this account intact, what will it be worth in 10 or 20 years? As opposed to, it's a little more difficult to do the math, but see when you're making contributions back into that account for the amount that you borrowed, that means that the total has been reduced by the amount that you withdrawal you withdrew, and then your contributions are going to be made over a period of time. So the point is, is that if you had $100,000, 10 years, well, let's, how can you do that, Daniel? Let's say it's $100,000 in an account at four or 5% in 20 years, as opposed to $90,000. And let's just make it simple that we, we don't get that $90,000 back. What's, uh, can you do the difference between the, uh, the, the account values? The growth? Yeah. <laughs> It'd be yeah. A 10% less compounded over a certain period of 20 years. So <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure off the top of my head. Okay. All right. Well, we might come back to that, but uh, that the, what we, I mean, maybe we don't have uh, exact answers. I should have asked him before. Okay. But I didn't. So what I'm, what we have, we have done the numbers before and there's quite a disparity between keeping the money intact and letting time help it increase, assuming you're getting gains for all that period of time, as opposed to reducing the amount by whatever it is you might reduce the amount by. And, and particularly if the money is not put back, but even if the money is put back, typically it's put in over time, which reduces the, uh, the, the, the power of compounding because clearly you're working with, with, with fewer funds. Hey, John, so, it's about a $40,000 difference over a 20-year period. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. Forty. So, so I borrowed ten, and uh, and I'm in a and I didn't put it back. So my account is lighter by forty thousand dollars in what in twenty years? Is that what twenty you said? years? Assuming seven percent growth over the same, uh, over that over that period. See, see now. It, thank you because now you really get to see the point we're making. Forty grand. It was only ten. That's not that much, <laughs> but forty thousand—that's more, <laughs> four times more. Uh, that would be more useful, probably, than the, the the house might be today. But if that's what you choose to do, that's what you choose to do. We're just trying to make sure you're making these kinds of uh, decisions with your eyes wide open, as opposed to trying to feel good and and stay up with the Kardashians, right? Are you still watching the Kardashians? Well, they got a lot of attention. So you're trying to feel good, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, it was more costly than you imagined. And there might've been a, another way or a better way to go about it. For example, we would say, if you, if you, to the extent that you need to take a withdrawal, please exhaust every other option you have as compared to running to your retirement account first and taking money out of there, which is which was designed to be sitting there so that you have the equivalent of your $100,000 income today, which in today's dollars at a 4% withdrawal rate means what you need to have behind door number one is $2.5 million. It's, it's just That's just the math. That's a 4% withdrawal of 2.5. That's $100,000 a year. And, and by the way, Daniel, we have one couple who are, who are avid savers. Uh, one of the, 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 the male decided he didn't want the high stress job anymore. The wife was making 100 and they figured, oh yeah, we can get by on 100. And then we find out that no, the husband went back to work. He says, John, we're at uh, you know Corner Bakery with coupons. It was terrible. I didn't, it was not fun, but they had to go through the experience and then he went back to work. But they do a better job of recognizing what it is they need to do to keep life the way they prefer it like having a pool that's not heated because it's too expensive, which is to me kind of funny. <laughs> All right. So uh, what about uh, these, um, th this forbearance? Please explain, oh, Daniel. 
Before yeah. we do that, let's talk ro rollovers from 401k. Oh, good idea. Yes. So one of the what a rollover is is when you leave your employer and you have money in their 401k, you have a few different options. You can leave the money at your current employer um, so long as they let you, and for the most part they do. You can move it to a new 401k if your new job has a 401k, or you can move money to an IRA in the form of a rollover. All of those are non-taxable events, so you don't pay taxes on any of that. What becomes, what is really important to look at, well, one of the things that's really important to look at is the fees. For the most part, people do not know what they're paying in their 401k. Can't tell you how many times we've talked to people, seemingly educated people who think their 401k is absolutely free. And it's simply just not the case. There's always fees and everything. So we want you to know what you're paying in the 401k. For the most part, it's somewhere between a half a percent to 2%, somewhere in that range. Now, when you're rolling money over, one of the questions is, is, is it more expensive to be in an IRA? For the most part, the answer is yes. 401ks have the benefit of, of being a larger size with a lot of participants. So we're talking about more money that typically that typically leads to cheap to less investment costs and less fees for the for the employee. In an IRA, you're on your own, so you're paying fees on your own. Plus, you typically add some additional expenses, so it's usually more expensive in an IRA. The benefit of the IRA is you have a lot more flexibility. You can do a lot more in the IRA than you can do in your 401k. In your 401k, you're limited to the options that your employer has for you. So in a lot of 401ks, there's something like 20 or 30 op investment options. And those are typically mutual funds and you're limited to cash, stocks, or bonds. In an IRA, you have the world of investments available. You can do individual stocks, individual bonds, exchange traded funds, mutual funds, uh, annuities, alternative investments. There's a lot more flexibility. So you can get a lot more diversification in an IRA than you typically can in a 401k. You can also use professional manage, management like ourselves because we can't do that in, an, in a 401k, not easily at least, but in an IRA, we can help you manage your money and we can do that for you. So there are some benefits to an IRA. And for them, what a lot of people do, which is a problem, is they'll be at an employee employer first or for a certain period of years. They'll 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 start putting money in their four hundred one k, and then they'll leave, and they'll do that again, and then they'll leave, and then they'll do that again, and then they'll leave, and then they retire, and they have four or five or six four hundred one k's, and they might know where they are, and a lot of times they don't. So then it becomes a hassle to go back and find them. What you what tends to be easier is when you when you leave your employer, if you roll it into your IRA, you can keep your you can keep better track of your money. Well, and let's uh, let's look at it this way because uh, the the good news about the securities business is that when accounts get larger, the fees go down. Unlike a house, right? It could be a one million dollar house, a five hundred thousand dollar house. Typically, the commission is what four, five, six percent. But when it comes to uh, retirement accounts, like IRAs, for example, when they get to be larger, then the, uh, the fee structure can actually decline. And, and let me put, say a couple of things. One, when you're talking about more of the passive kind of investing, which is typically all that you're able to choose from in a traditional 401k account, it's stocks, bonds, or mutual funds. And you know that, that's pretty much the mix, stocks, bonds, cash. But the problem is that they are all passive. So if they are a stock fund, for example, in uh, 2008, you may find the reality that your account performed almost identically as to the overall market, off 
If on the other hand, you're in an actively managed account, which might be a little more expensive, and I'll come back to that in just a second, you may find that your losses were less than 37%, maybe significantly less. So sometimes you have to pay more to get more. And, and so let's come back to that. So again, the good news is that uh, on a $10 million account, the, the fees are very, very, a lot less than on a $1 million account. Uh, there is that advantage that size does matter. But if you're, let's say you had a, an inexpensive account in 2008 and it was off uh, 37% and you paid 1% for that. Let's suppose you had a, a, a hypothetical account that maybe was twice as much, 2%, but instead of being off uh, 37%, that account was off less than 20%. Well, on a $3 million account, we won't do this math, but we've done it enough to say to you that the difference is to your bottom line is about $600,000. So as I say, and I think we all understand, sometimes it does make sense to pay more to get more. We want the our one-two punch when we talk about how people can be better prepared for the future is to look at what we've learned from the past, 2000, 2008, uh, 2018, 2019, and that was uh, the one-two punch of having uh, accounts that were not passive. In other words, where the share balance remained the same, the actively managed accounts were ones where the share balance was reduced because the funds were taken out of shares and put into a money market account or put into a cash account. So let's suppose that cash account started at 5% and most of them stayed 5% cash, 95% invested. The actively managed accounts might have... Uh, been by year end 2008 uh, with, with a lot more cash. So if it is the case that there are ways to not just hold the shares, but to move to safety, that might be advantageous for the next storm that might show up. And then in 2009, it, it's pedal to the metal. In other words, we want to be invested after March 9th, 100%, all the way in the stocks, all the ways in the, in the bonds, you know, get back to a 5% cash balance maybe. Uh, and that way we limit the decline in a bad year and enjoy the gains of a good year. So that's step one. Step two is, as Daniel mentioned, greater diversification inside a traditional retirement account is cash bonds or stocks. Outside of a traditional retirement account, the world is really your oyster because you can put all kinds of different vehicles inside your retirement account once you take control of it. So uh, I guess we will leave that there for now. We have another quick break. Please uh, sit tight, stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. 
We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, folks. John Grayson, Daniel Medina here. Delighted you could spend some time with us this afternoon. And we want to talk about uh, the ability to... Um, that the government has just allowed for longer break from mortgage payments, but what that really means. And then we want to get into how the Chinese are coming. And I mean, they're coming with a vengeance and ahead of schedule. So when we talk about this forbearance, it's as long as what, 18 months, Daniel? But what exactly does that mean? It, it's, it's, it's not a gimme, is it? It's not a gimme. It's not free. It's not free rent which would be very nice, but you're essentially pausing your mortgage payments. So it's been extended for an additional three months. So now if you got in from the beginning, now we're at 18 months of forbearance, which a lot of people I believe will benefit from the whole 18 months. But essentially what you've done is you've paused your mortgage payments. So if your mortgage was to make the math simple, um, $1,000 per month, and you were on 18 months of forbearance, then you now have an $18,000 balance that has that something has to be done with when the when that forbearance period um, expires so you may have to different lenders will do different things and for Fannie and Freddie which are the government-backed loans they're they're giving option the option of, of putting that money whatever was was owed on the back end of the loan so essentially extending your mortgage out for 18 months making additional payments throughout the life of the loan or doing a lump sum now, for private lenders, we're not, we don't know what they're going to do. And they could, they could do any of the three or something completely different. We don't know. But the challenge is a lot of them have been, have been missing this cash flow. And, and I'm sure they want the cash up front. But we don't know what they're going to do. So that's, that's a big wild card. So, the, 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 of course, what we're suggesting is that you read the fine print, recognize what you are signing up for. Uh, is it a requirement to pay the last three months, the last 18 months in one lump sum? Uh, does the lender give you the ability to, to maybe add that to your to the loan balance or some portion thereof? Uh, but of course, if you've extended the lifetime of not paying, making payments, you hopefully are saving the money that you, that you can save to uh, get caught up as soon as you possibly can, because some of the lenders will play hardball and they just want the darn house, right? Uh, they don't really care about you. We saw what happened in 2008. I think it might be different this time. And what has been helpful, I think, for everyone is there's been a lot of uh, uh, gains in the home values, certainly in the last uh, 10 years. Uh, there has been kind of a refuge, if you will. 
but as you know, all things uh, do come to a stop. And this is one thing that most people aren't uh, keeping abreast of, and that is looking at the buying and selling behavior of homes based on age. So the three ages that uh, we have learned through DENT research, we pay for independent research uh, to recognize is it's not interest rates, it's not uh, location, and it's not uh, inventory that are the primary drivers of real estate. It, it tends to be more, the primary, the, the biggest driver tends to be age. So 31 is the age at which most Americans have bought their first house. 41 is the age at which most Americans have bought their biggest house and boomers can sign up for box one and box two. They can check both, both of those boxes. What do we see for the future as we're all jumping up and down talking about inventory? Well, 78 is the age, according to the Census Bureau, that most Americans sell their homes. And by the way, uh, but wait, there's more. Looking at the Census Bureau, guess what the new average age of death is in America for 2021? It's uh, 79. So one way or the other, many of us are coming out of those McMansions, whether we want to or not, whether it's going to be on underfoot or on a gurney. But uh, we're trying to say to folks who know these are some of the trends that are happening. And, and by the way, an even larger trend that is happening is now we have in the world more people 65 and older than five and younger. Again, that's more people on the planet, 65 and older than five and younger. That is unprecedented. So when people say, oh, we're just going to get back to the way it was, we're all older <laughs> on a global basis and folks aren't having children like they used to. So things are changing right before your very eyes. And that's what we're saying. We must be flexible and we, we must be vigilant and we must read the fine print so that we can see what we're in for. And hopefully we'll be around to tell our own story. So let's talk about uh, the Chinese are coming. Uh, and if you recall, President Donald Trump, during his inaugural address, put it this way, from this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this moment on, it's going to be America first. Now, I have a lot of friends who were very fond of that phraseology, America first. Who doesn't want that? But l let me say this first, and then we'll look at how the phrase has a long and troubling backstory, America first. Uh, if your team gets to be first in the league, right, whatever team you're, you're, you're rooting for, what do the other teams do? <laughs> they put a target on your back because we can see the other teams, exactly who's in the number one spot, and we are coming for you. So one of the things that I learned from a very bright guy, he, he suggests that you never really want to be first in the world when you're a country. What you want to do is be in a group of five or six other countries that are moving in the same direction. That way, each of those countries have influences with other countries, and they can bring more people along into the equation. And now you can share the ball, if you will, in terms of who's going to be front and who's going to be backup. You know, like you pay, play tennis, you have, uh, you know, you're, you have the backhand and a forehand, and you've got uh, two people playing doubles, and one person is going to work the net, the other one's going to work the back line but you're, you're, you're trying to cover all your bases here. So when we look at history, this, um, you know, make America first was a Republican campaign slogan back in the 1880s. But according to Sarah Churchill, who's a professor of American literature at the University of London, she says that uh, it, it became a national catchphrase when President Woodrow Wilson used it in 1915. She went on to say that former President 
Woodrow Wilson used it in, in, in 1915 as part of his efforts to keep America out of World War I. And as he tap danced to placate the isolationists, he himself was an internal nationalist. In the name of leadership, Wilson felt it was important to maintain neutrality. But we learn more that when the phrase gets taken up in the name of isolationism almost instantly, and it is quickly connected with other ideas that were also on the rise at the same time, like the Ku Klux Klan, it became linked to anti-immigration movements and sympathizers of fascism and was popularized by Charles Lindbergh. Of course, he's the famous American pilot who led American First Committee, a group of some 800,000 Americans who wanted to keep us out of World War II. Uh, we had to learn to, we had to belly up to the bar. So what began as an anti-war slogan to remain distant from the world became an unequivocal fascist and xenophobic slogan. So in her book, Sarah Churchill, her book, Behold America, if you're in an anti-immigrant and xenophonic debate, then America First will kind of magnetically accrue those anti-immigrant sentiments. Put America First, native-born people first. It connects back to the native nativism of the 1840s and 1850s, and it sounds broadly anti-immigrant. In a moment where people were very concerned about waves of immigration, which was a big motivating factor for the KKK, it was only natural that America First would become a rallying cry for nativists and, and racists. I, I like learning from people from other countries because I think they often have a different perspective, particularly the Brits on the US of A, and clearly they're not wearing a red tie or a blue tie, so it, it never becomes political. And I think they tend to have a, a better perspective of what's going on because we're so quick to get on little, our little corners of, you know, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, never the two shall meet. So what sounded like it innocuous enough was uh, really a dog whistle to those who want to keep everybody out, who is not white, not Protestant, not what they say as a native-born American, uh, an old-style American. And that was their notion of what America was supposed to be. Uh, that's, what, uh, that's her take, Sarah's take. So America First did have a very strong resonance with ideals like Amer Make America Great Again, which was a phrase that nearly echoed as well. The idea then, as now, was that the true version of America is the America that looks like me, the American fantasy I imagine existed before it was diluted, heaven forbid, with other races and these other people. Now, 2021, these United States of America have become so inward looking, it has lost sight of our place in the world. Believe it or not, understand it or don't, we are all part of the planet, the same planet. As I say, we drink the same water, we breathe the same air, and we'll be flying the same airplanes again in just a minute. No country can act on its conscience when it is unconscious of the facts. It's kind of like asking a, a fish to see water, right? It's not going to happen. So we have become so preoccupied where, you know, we're going to make a mask a political statement. But what, what notice what happened with the, the Japanese. Like late 80s, we were to a person. Uh, I think Daniel just got here, so he wouldn't remember what his parents will. In the late 80s, we were convinced Japan was going to be number one in gross domestic product. That didn't happen. And I will submit to you basically for two reasons. One, they had no immigration. And two, they had no baby boom. America benefited from both. 76 million people that came into this equation from 1946 to 1964. That has never happened before anywhere on the planet. It's only happened once, and guess what? It doesn't look like it's going to happen again. But that's uh, 76 million people strong. And as I say, the US benefited from immigration as well. And you have to understand, 
to have a strong economy, you need a significant uh, number of people. So we we welcomed immigrants. We welcomed these baby boom the babies from wherever they came from. Now we see that China will leapfrog the U.S. to become the world's largest economy by 2028. Japan didn't do it, but China is on on track. Uh, and this is according to the British Center for Economics and Business Research in, in Newsweek right after Christmas. So as we've been so busy studying our navels, the report suggests that the economic fallout of the pandemic means China will surpass the U.S. five years earlier than previously estimated, and that looks like to be around uh, 2028. So I'm saying that you know the U.S. has been embroiled in arguing over the political statement of wearing that mask, and thanks to tough measures, whether you agree or not, China has certainly, uh, with its authoritarian system, appears to have stopped the pandemic in its tracks, where we're still dealing with that ball. And at the same time, the U.S. has become the epicenter of the COVID-19 as the numbers of deaths and cases continue to multiply. So as I say, if you're if you're number one, you've put a target on your back. And it certainly would not be my goal to see us in the number one position when it comes to the number of cases for COVID-19 and the number of deaths. But that's exactly where we are. So we did a great job of developing the vaccine, and we're still getting up to speed on distributing and making sure that the vaccine ends up in, in the bodies of people. I mean, what good if Dr. Fauci says the Calvary is here, but if the Calvary has no ammunition, it's not much of a Calvary. So, uh, you know, we, we, by my count, we really should be at, uh, in terms of vaccinations, probably at least twice as many as we are. I think we're getting to 1.7, up from a million, up from 1.3. Uh, that's, that's improvement. But to really kind of handle this thing as quickly as possible, we should be doing about uh, two to three million vaccinations a day. Last year, we were on track by my count, where the pace looks like the job might have been done to uh, accomplish her immunity with the vaccine would take over eight years. <laughs> so my wish list for everyone is to recognize, you know, what do we do to survive? We got to we got to wash. We got to watch. We got to wear. And I think the fourth W is wait. We have to wait to be in good in big groups because this, uh, as I say, this uh, COVID by COVID nineteen is a disaster of epic proportions. And and here's the thing: when it comes to China, notice that right after the end of this year, they completed their fourteenth five year plan. Wrap your mind around that. What that means is that starting in nineteen fifty three, every five years. The country has sat down, the leaders of the country have sat down, closed the doors, no media, and developed a five-year plan. Now, that just rhymes with our trademark. The proof is in the planning. And my point, of course, is whether or not our government is ever going to do a five-year plan, I would not hold my breath for that, no matter who's in office or who's in the White House. You can do a five-year plan. You can do a one-year plan. You can look at what are we going to do? How are we going to improve our lives for our families? And one of the ways that I would suggest that uh, people who are very interested in preparing their families for the future is to recognize if you learn, if you know English, Spanish and Mandarin, the world is your oyster. So if they've been able to, the uh, Communist Party of China uh, has uh, been able to put uh, four, 
14, they've been able to put five-year plans in place 14 times in a row. <laughs> That's remarkable. And, and what I'm saying is that the, the Chinese are coming ahead of schedule. Now, what can you do to be prepared no matter how things turn? So what do you say about all that, Daniel? I think I think the America first is it sounds good, but it's it's dangerous, and that's just not the way the world works. Uh, that's well put. I, I think it is dangerous, and and it's one of those things that, as as, as uh, the author put it, it's innocuous. Who doesn't want America to be first? But maybe again, looking at our teams, depending on what you want to do, we want a group of people to make progress. We we need to determine what our priorities are and, and where I, I wish we could get all the countries around a round table at the UN, right? And the question becomes which country produces the best product at the least price? Because that's how consumers think, right? I want the best possible product at the least price. So if we work together to discover who does what really well and then put our plans in place, as I say, we're, we're all in this together. Well, if you're making sandals and we're making, uh, uh, you know, nativity scenes, <laughs> technology, whatever it is, who's doing really well and how can we price it so everybody's improving? Then, I mean, right now, just to get to the same buying power we had back in the 70s, Americans should be on average earning about $100,000 a year by my count. And we're we're at $65,000, $68,000. in America, I don't care where, just isn't good enough. $100,000? Ah, that would be a whole different story for all of us Americans in these United States of America. We're going to leave it there, folks. We, we love doing this. Daniel Medina and John Grace here on Voice America with our program Fiscal Fitness. We'll be right back here next week at this time, 12 to 1 Pacific time and Please feel free to continue send us, send us your questions, and we'll look forward to working your questions into the material that we cover. For now, thanks so much. See you next week. Thank you for tuning to Fiscal Fitness. Please join John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have an excellent week.